that Christmas led to. John chapter 11, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, the the time when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. doesn't really seem like a Christmas theme, but what you have to always understand is the whole Gospel didn't stop in the manger. You know, sometimes it's comfortable for us to keep Jesus in the manger. He's safe. He's a little baby. But Jesus was anything but safe. If you read through the Gospels, the statements He made, He was anything but safe. But the whole purpose, the whole reason He was born in that manger, the reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ was leading to Calvary and the cross. And this chapter, John chapter 11, is a very dramatic chapter. It's the seventh of the signs that Jesus performed that John recorded for us, and perhaps the most dramatic of the ones that John recorded. Well, certainly it was the most dramatic of the ones John recorded. I don't know if it was the most dramatic to experience, but it had to be pretty intense because everything about this miracle, and we'll talk about this, uh, set up to reveal who Jesus really was. That He wasn't just a rabbi from Nazareth, but He was indeed the Son of God. So let's turn to John chapter 11 and we'll begin reading. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. In fact, they were uh, his sisters as well. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Important little phrase there. Because Lazarus does die, but it does not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us now go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So there's this message that has been brought to Jesus about this man that he loves. Now, of course, Jesus loves everyone as God. That is his nature. But Jesus had human relationships with certain people that were more close. And Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were a family that Jesus had come very into very close relationship with. When he was in Jerusalem, no doubt he often stayed at their house at Bethany, which was just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, up on the Mount of Olives, just past the Mount of Olives. 
So he had a very close relationship with them. And Mary and Martha send to Jesus this message that Lazarus is sick. And it's not just like he has a cold. He's very sick. It's an illness that is probably going to take his life. And Jesus understands this when he receives this message. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus, after he received this message, remained where he was for a couple of more days before he told his disciples, let's go ahead and go back into Judea. He didn't take any action at that point to do something about Lazarus's sickness. Why didn't Jesus just speak the word and heal Lazarus? He had done that before with the centurion and his servant and also with the uh, person who was in Herod's household whose son was ill. Jesus spoke the word and they were healed. Could not Jesus have done this? Is distance an impediment? No, of course not. But he didn't do that. Why did Jesus, if he truly loved Lazarus, which it says in verse 3 that he did, why did Jesus let Lazarus get sick at all? You ever think about those questions? Sure you have. Absolutely. All of us have gone through those moments of time where we suffer through something whether it's an illness, the loss of a loved one, financial catastrophe, who knows what it might be. But all of us have been there at one point in time. And we ask those questions. Why, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen? I've read in your word, I I can see that you could have done something to prevent this. But why are you allowing it to happen? And it's a difficult question. I have found in my own experience that asking God why usually does not lead to an answer. There's 40 plus chapters in the book of Job where Job and his friends try to get at the reason of why does God do something. And at the end of the book, they are no closer to the answer than when they began. So sometimes things happen in our lives that we don't understand that do cause us to legitimately ask, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? And no doubt, Mary and Martha wondered about that. Because Jesus was probably a half day's journey away from uh, where Mary and Martha were and Lazarus. He could have easily stopped what he was doing, gone back to Bethany. As I said, he could have also just spoken the word and healed. But he didn't. And Jesus gives us the answer in this particular instance, much like when Chris taught chapter 9 of John, why Jesus or why God allowed this to happen. Jesus said, this is not unto death, but it is for God's glory. So I have found that really the question isn't so much why when I'm going through difficult times. The question really becomes what? What is God doing? What am I to learn in this situation? We're going to talk more about that question of what in a little bit. So sort of a unique situation. Lazarus actually, we'll find, uh, probably died that very first day. 
when Jesus received the message. Martha tells Jesus when he arrives that Lazarus has been dead for four days. So Lazarus probably died the very day Jesus received the message. But upon his arrival in verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, in Jewish culture, they believed that the spirit of the deceased hovered around the tomb or the body for the first three days. But after the first three days, the spirit would either ascend or descend. The fact that he had been in the tomb for four days is significant because in Jewish culture, they would have absolutely understood that Lazarus was a goner. There was no bringing him back. There was no prayer. There was no medicine. There was nothing they could do to change this circumstance at this point. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Mary, or excuse me, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she ran out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, now here comes the wise. Here comes the wise from Martha's heart. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now. God will give you whatever you ask. So she has a a measure of faith. There's an element to Martha's interaction with Jesus where she still understands that Jesus is in control, that there's something about her relationship with him that informs her that Jesus is still in control of this, that he has such a relationship with God that God will give to him what he requests. But she's not where Jesus wants her to be. She doesn't fully appreciate the situation. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha has an awareness that Jesus is connected to God in some way. That if he asks God something, God will hear him. She further understands the doctrine of the resurrection. She knows the rabbis have taught that there will be a resurrection on the last day. In fact, in Daniel chapter 12, we read of a resurrection both of the righteous dead as well as the unrighteous dead. So there's a resurrection that occurs not just for believers, but also for unbelievers. And Revelation confirms that. There are two classes of resurrection. There's the first resurrection. And John, the revelator, says, blessed is he who has part in the first resurrection. That is the resurrection of the righteous dead. Those who die in Christ. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But there's a second class of people who will be resurrected. And that is the people who have not trusted in God and his gospel through his son, Jesus Christ. They will be resurrected, but unto damnation. So Martha has this understanding of resurrection. She knows that there will be a resurrection, that Lazarus will at some point in a time yet future rise from the dead. And she's able to state that to Jesus. But Jesus, here he elevates her understanding. Here he draws her in. to to understand more deeply and appreciate more fully what the doctrine of the resurrection is really all about. And we need to pay attention to this as well. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
do you believe this? And this is critical. This is absolutely essential. We have to be in relationship to Jesus Christ as human beings in order to be saved from sin and to be resurrected in that first resurrection. Here's what happens. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when we trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are baptized into his death and burial. And then we rise with him unto newness of life. That's what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. So when you are born again, you are baptized into the body of Christ. And everything that happened to Jesus, you experience as well. You are in Christ. That's why when he says, I am the resurrection, it's not just a mental assent that we give to a doctrine, but it's a reality that we have been born into, spiritually speaking. We are baptized into his body, into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's why Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul is able to write that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because we are in him. We don't just believe something about him, but if you are a Christian, if you have been born again in the Spirit, you have been baptized into him. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we are seated in the heavenly places with him. Right now, that's in the present tense. In a spiritual reality, we are here physically, but spiritually in the heavenly places reigning with Christ because we are in him. He is the resurrection and the life. Remember last week I was talking about the difference between life, bios, physical life, livelihood, and life, zoe, spiritual life, that deeper, higher plane of life that God is calling us to, that Jesus said he came that we might have more abundantly. It's the same word here. Jesus said, I am the resurrection, but I am also the zoe. I am the life. And you experience that abundant life, that fullness of joy, that peace that passes understanding when you are in Christ. I'm emphasizing this because it's so important that it's not just about a mental assent to a doctrinal belief. That's what Martha had. Even though she was in some degree of relationship with Jesus Christ, she did not fully appreciate what was going on. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe that, you will have life, as will your brother. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So she enters into that area of relationship and belief that, that, that takes her there that Jesus wanted her to have and that he wants each one of us to have. It's more than just church. You know, you think about the experience. And, and I've been to many funerals. I've conducted several. Uh, there's this distinct difference in the experience of the Christian burial over 
the non-Christian burial. The Christian burial, certainly we grieve, certainly we mourn, we, we, we feel a void in our lives. And yet we know that our brother or our sister in Christ is with Jesus. And there's a peace that comes to us. Paul said, for me, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's because of this doctrine that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that we can have that great assurance that when loved ones pass, when we pass, should the Lord tarry, that we will be with Him. Because even now, even at this moment, for those of us who believe, we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that. Trust in that. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you're going through. You see, this, this whole notion of a, a resurrection and, and a life beyond is so important in helping us to deal with the circumstances that we go through in this life. And we will go through difficult times. Absolutely. The Bible says all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And in the book of Acts, the two disciples were walking along the road and they said it is with much persecution and much tribulation that we must enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage because I have overcome the world. So there's a great comfort in knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that our very being has been baptized or immersed, placed into him, and that wherever he goes, we go. Wherever he is, we are. It's a great comfort. After she said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. So Mary gets up and goes out and says to Jesus essentially the same thing that Martha had said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping and all those around her weeping. And then the shortest verse in the whole scriptures comes up. Verse 35 says that Jesus wept. Now there's a variety of different perspectives on why Jesus is weeping here. Some believe that Jesus is weeping because he sees the unbelief of all the people surrounding here. Some people believe that he's weeping because he is so compassionate and feeling the pain of the people that he loves. Other people believe that Jesus is weeping because he knows he's going to call Lazarus out of heaven back to earth. Which I think that has some merit. It's like, bummer for you, Lazarus. But Jesus wept, and, and it's a beautiful picture of his humanity, of the fact that he experiences emotions. And, and, and he understands how we feel. You know, people often ask, where is God in all of this suffering? Where is God when I'm going through this? And the simple answer is he's right next to you. He cares. He's concerned. He's at work as Jesus here is at work. And he feels your pain. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. I love the King James. It said, 
Lord, he stinketh. He's been there for four days. But Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Remember, what's the purpose in suffering? What's the purpose in, in the tribulations that we go through and the unknown un, uh, situations that confront us? The purpose ultimately is the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus probably began to pray about this situation the very moment he got the message four days earlier. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this now for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, this is not only a supernatural miracle that Lazarus rose up from the grave, but God no doubt brought him to the entrance of the tomb because they were wrapped tightly. There's no way Lazarus would have been able to get to the door of the tomb on his own. God carried him there. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. A dramatic, beautiful picture of the power of God and the glory of God. Lazarus, come out! This man who had been dead for four days. All of these people from the village of Bethany and from Jerusalem that had come to comfort the family were standing there. Jesus is saying, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I know you hear me always. What a moment of drama. Because when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, if Lazarus didn't come out, the ministry would have been over right there. But Jesus knew who he was, and he knew to whom he was praying. So why do we have to wait upon the Lord? Why didn't Jesus just say the word when he first heard the message and heal Lazarus? Because ultimately, he had a greater impact that he wanted to make. He knew in his mind in what lied ahead. And, and we need to understand this. Waiting upon the Lord is not a bad thing. It says in Isaiah 40, 31, that those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And so waiting upon the Lord is an important aspect of our lives as Christians. I want to suggest to you that when we wait upon the Lord, we grow in three ways. First, we grow in faith because we have to go to his word. Jesus said at the very outset, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. That was the word Jesus had given. And throughout this whole process, through those four days, Mary and Martha had to lean on that word. Their faith in his word had to deepen. And that's what happens for us when we wait upon the Lord. Our faith in, our trust upon his word grows. Secondly, we grow in hope. Initially, they called Jesus, Mary and Martha did, hoping that he would say the word and Lazarus would be healed, or that he would come to Bethany and Lazarus would be healed. But Jesus had a greater message to import to them, that he was the resurrection and the life. 
So they were to grow in hope, not in a doctrine, not in healing for this life, but ultimately to develop a hope in the person of Jesus Christ. If you have hope in anything else, you are going to be disappointed ultimately. It's in Jesus Christ only that your hope is going to be fulfilled. And finally, they grew in love. Really, what they grew in was an understanding of God's love. And and this is very important. I want you to get this. God loves you with a love that I cannot even begin to comprehend. But you know what? His love for you and his love for me is not a pampering love. It's not an indulgent love. It's a perfecting love. It's a love that is designed to prepare us for eternity with him in heaven. In Romans chapter 8, and we'll conclude with this, Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this. He says, We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what does God do? He works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So everything God is doing in your life, regardless of how you may understand it or perceive it, is for your good from God's perspective. For God foreknew those whom he predestined to be conformed, pay attention, to the image of his Son. So his love for you isn't to make your life easier, isn't to make your life more pleasant. It's to make your life more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. And he works everything out in your life, the things that you rejoice over, the things that you... uh, are in misery about. He works each one of those experiences into your life in a way that will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And what is the image of Jesus Christ? Is it a physical image we're looking at? No. It's a spiritual image. Jesus sees through, God sees through your skin into the person within. And that's what he's working on. And so when you go through difficult times, as Mary and Martha did, as Lazarus did, you don't understand it. You can't figure it out. You can't control it. What is this all about? What you need to do is rest in this simple truth. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word and the power of the Word in our lives. What a great assurance we have that we are going to spend eternity with you in heaven. Many here this morning, Lord, are going through very difficult times, made even more challenging by the season. And I pray for those, Lord, who are struggling, that they would experience your love in a new and a fresh way here this morning and the days ahead that they would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you are with them that you're weeping with them and that you will carry them through to the next horizon because you are the resurrection and the life in your name we pray amen
Let's go ahead and stand up and 